Eat that box in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Forever waiting for someone to like us. Bitches love record players. Okay, don't swallow it, that's gross. Hello, my little sex kittens. This is Raven, and welcome to Raven After Dark. L is for the way you look at me. O is you're the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary love is made for you and me what the fuck is up everybody my name's raven welcome back to raven after dark let's get into the shit all right guys happy valentine's week it's the the month of love we're all supposed to show the people that we care about one day out of the year how much we care about them i think this is a bullshit holiday no i'm not bitter Yes, I might be alone forever, but that's fine. But I just think Valentine's Day is a stupid holiday. I personally show the people in my life every single day that I love them and I care about them. And I don't feel the need to buy overpriced flowers and chocolates. Honestly, I'd rather go shopping on the 15th and then get all the discounted chocolates and treats and the flowers that are starting to die. Because that's okay. Why am I going to spend extra money on it? It's silly. If you love me... Don't give me stuff on Valentine's Day. (laughs) So in the nature of the holiday season, um, I just finished reading this book that my dear friend Mariah recommended to me called How Not to Die Alone, The Surprising Science That Will Help You Find Love by Logan Urey. And this book is pretty freaking cool. So I decided for this episode and possibly a second episode, depending on how long this one goes for, We're going to have a little book club and talk about love and dating and how to get everybody wifed up and locked out, if that's what you truly want. Alrighty, so let's get into it. This book starts off by talking about why dating is harder today than it has ever been before. So way back in the day, let's take a rewind to our grandparents' generation, if not even farther back from then. We all knew our place in society and we knew what we were going to do when we grew up. We didn't really have a lot of options. We lived on a farm. We lived in smaller towns. Our parents were industrial workers. They were farmers. They were a blacksmith. You were a welder. You did the job that your parents did. You didn't really have a lot of choice. That's not how it is today. The same thing kind of comes to dating. Uh, We used to, one, not date people for love or get married for love. It was a transactional experience of you have 10 cows. I have a daughter. Let's trade. My daughter is now your son's wife and I have 10 cows. Everybody's happy, but that's not how it is anymore. Today we have the internet at our fingertips and we can literally be talking to anybody anywhere in the world, anytime, night or day. And it almost gets to a point where it's overwhelming how many options and how many people they are. And We don't necessarily know what to do with it. We want to have all this freedom. We want to be able to pick what we want when we grow up, what we want to do, who we want to love. But then we're presented with an overwhelming amount of options. And we're just standing there with our hands up going, uh, I don't, I don't know what I want. So I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to be alone forever. Doesn't sound that bad to me. 
Something that has added to our oversaturation of our dating market is dating apps. Dating apps are awesome because they allow you to connect with people that you might not normally meet, but they also are pretty terrible at the same time. One of the issues with dating apps is that when you sign up for a dating app, it asks you to put on different filters for your profile, whether it's somebody's height, whether it's their age, whether it's if they have a college degree, if they like the office, if they like cats, long walks on the beach, they ask us to check these little boxes of what we think would make the appropriate partner and the appropriate match. What we don't come to realize is that the things that we think matter on a surface level truly aren't that important and putting those different filters on our dating apps takes away people that we might not normally see or go after because they're not 6'3", they don't have a college degree, they don't enjoy long walks on the beach. Logan Yuri challenges us to change the settings on our dating apps or to possibly even take the settings off. I don't even know if that's a choice. I think you might have to do that with some of them. But if you always, like example, you always put your height as six feet, six two or taller, maybe I'll put it at 5'10". Maybe I'll take away the height part completely. Um, we tend to focus on different surface level traits that we think affect a person's character and qualities when really it doesn't. Yuri goes on to talk about how there's three different types of daters or three different types of dating tendencies. Okay, so I want you real quick after I tell you this to pause this and take the quiz that I have linked in the show notes. Before I do anything more, pause this real quick, go look at the quiz, take that quiz, I'll be right here. Okay, hi, thanks for coming back, thanks for doing that quiz. Let's break down what you just did. So there's three different types of dating tendencies. The first one is the romanticizer. The second one is the maximizer. And the third one is the hesitator. Let's break down what these mean. Okay, so if you got that you are a romanticizer, then this means that you are looking for your soulmate and you're happily ever after. You probably watched a lot of Disney movies growing up as a kid and you're waiting for your Prince Charming to kick down your front door like Big Bird and swoop you off your feet. It's not gonna happen, baby girl, I'm really sorry. Your motto is, it will happen when it's meant to happen. If your dating tendency is to be a maximizer, then that means that you are all about doing the research. You're the type of person that when it comes to buying something, you look at all the options, read the reviews, maybe even reach out to the company. You check all angles before going forward in your purchase. When it comes to dating, you want to make sure that you don't settle and that you find the air quote right person. And you want to make sure that you are 110% with your choice. Your motto, why settle? If you are a hesitator, it means that you don't think you are ready for dating because you are not the person that you want to be yet. That's me. You hold yourself to a really high standard and you want to make sure that you are completely ready before you start a new project. Your motto is, I'll wait until I'm the catch. So when I did it, I got the hesitator and the maximizer. And I've definitely gone to a point right now, I think I mentioned on my previous episodes of, not that I'm looking for a relationship in general, but I would be open to considering dating somebody once I get into my 30s because I plan for the next year and a half of my life to make a shit ton of money, be really successful, and do a lot of stuff for me. And when I get into relationships and start dating somebody, I build little houses with people and put my focus on them and not necessarily focus on what I'm trying to get done. So now that you've taken the quiz and we've talked about it a little bit, do you think it's accurate? Does it relate to you? I personally like doing stuff like this because I think it's really cool to see yourself from an outside perspective and we don't normally reflect on ourselves. I feel like we focus more on what other people are doing and not necessarily what we're doing. And it's important to stop and take a second and realize how we communicate, how we go about things and what can help us be more efficient. 
So now that we've talked about dating styles, let's talk about attachment styles. Logan Yuri talks about how we have different attachment styles based on the way that we are raised. So way back in the day, there is this study that was done called The Strange Situation. And how the study worked is that moms and their babies were invited to come hang out in this room. So they asked the mom to come in with their babies. They hang out for a little bit. These babies have toys or whatever, and they're chilling. And then the mom leaves, and they recorded how the babies reacted. There are three different responses. The first response was when the mom left, the baby got upset. And then as soon as the mom came back, the baby calmed down for a minute, but then got upset again and tried to push the mom away. These babies were known as anxiously attached babies. The second group cried when the mom left, but stopped when the mom returned and resumed playing and remained happy. These were known as securely attached babies. The final group did not respond to the mom leaving the room, nor did they acknowledge them when they came back. They acted like they didn't care. However, even though these babies were externally acting like they didn't care, their heart rate showed that they were internally upset, they just weren't expressing it. These babies were labeled as avoidantly attached babies. These tests showed these scientists that we all have the same need for attachment and attention, but we develop different coping mechanisms. This affects us when we're adult on who we're attracted to and how we go about relationships. So let's translate these babies into being an adult. Anxious babies grow up and are afraid of abandonment and want to be in constant contact with their partners. When people are anxiously attached, their brains flood them with activating strategies, thoughts that compel them to regain closeness. People like this might dwell on their partner's good traits and push their own redeeming qualities to the side. This jaded view can cause anxiety. When they don't hear back from their partner right away, they panic thinking that they're being abandoned. This feeling will only reside once they're back in contact with their partner. People like this might jump into dating or stay in a relationship that's past their due date because they fear being alone and that this is their only shot of love. People that have anxious attachment partake in what's called protest behavior. This means that they act out to get their partner's attention. Examples of acting out would be sending your partner numerous text messages back to back to back or threatening to leave the relationship. Or on the opposite end, they withdraw and ignore you to prove a point. Does it sound like somebody you know? Is this you? If it does sound like you, that's totally fine. We're here to talk about how we can work on this. I honestly believe that all of us have a little bit of these traits in all of us. It's just figuring out the best way to go about it and be more efficient and just figuring out ourselves more. Now let's talk about the avoidantly attached babies. What are those guys doing as adults? These are the ones that acted like they didn't care when their mom came back. These people feel that they could not rely on, on their caregiver. As an adult, this manifests in ways such as minimizing the pain of rejection by acting like they don't care. They feel like they can't rely on other people, so they avoid getting close to anybody and losing their independence. If people get too close, then they pull away. These actions are called deactivating strategies. Examples of this would be somebody saying, I'm not really ready to commit or I need space. People like this also tend to dwell on their partner's imperfections and use those as reasons to leave the relationship later on. Now, that last group of babies, what's going on with them? These are the securely attached babies. Securely attached adults make ideal partners. They are reliable and trustworthy. They avoid and diffuse drama. They are flexible in sticky situations and communicate efficiently. They are comfortable with intimacy and setting good boundaries. So you're probably hearing this and thinking, wow, that's the type of person I wanna date. Well, let me tell you some good news. Thankfully, about 50% of the population is securely attached, 20% is anxiously attached, and 25% is avoidantly attached, and their remainder fall into a group called anxious avoidant. Sounds pretty great, right? 
Wrong. The problem with this is that although securely attached people make up half of the population, those fuckers are already in relationships and because they can communicate and talk about their feelings, they're not getting broken up with. So if you're still not sure what your attachment styles are, ask yourself these questions. How comfortable are you with intimacy and closeness? How much do you tend to avoid being intimate? How anxious do you feel about your partner's love and interest in you? You may be anxiously attached if you crave closeness but are insecure about your relationship's future and your partner's interest in you. You may be avoidantly attached if you feel uncomfortable if things get close and you value your freedom over connection. You may be securely attached if you are comfortable with intimacy, spending time alone, and don't often worry about the relationship. When it comes to me, I would say I have a mix of avoidantly attached and secure attachment. Right now, I have the mindset of focusing on me and being selfish, which everybody has the right to do, and I feel like you should do in your 20s. You have to figure yourself out. However, if I can tell that someone likes me a lot, especially with the mindset that I'm in now, it pushes me away from them. I don't want, I don't want your cute shit. I don't want your cute comments. Don't give me flowers on Valentine's Day. If you're going to give me roses, it better be the fucking vibrator. Don't give me real roses. Those things die. However, in my last relationship, I was very securely attached. I never doubted how he felt about me or questioned the relationship or where it was going. So it's totally possible to teach yourself to be securely attached. You just have to be more aware of yourself and your actions. So when you start feeling a little crazy and you're about to start sending those 10 texts in a row... Take a deep breath and breathe and really think about the situation and what's going on here. It's totally okay to ask your partner for space. However, it is not okay to disappear into that space without giving your partner a heads up. Your partner has a right to know that you're going to go into your shell for the day. And that can be as easy as, hey, I've had a stressful day. I just want to chill by myself and hang out for like an hour or two. Give me two hours and then we can have dinner and talk about my day and then we'll work through it. Versus you coming home from work, being in a bad mood, brooding, not talking, maybe throwing things around and not telling your partner what's going on. You have to be open with them and communicate. Now, if you find yourself getting caught up on your partner's negative qualities, take a step back and think about all the good things. Yes, you can bounce onto somebody new, but they're going to have new problems and new issues. So figure out if the things that upset you with your partner really are important and if there's there are things that you can work through and move past. Okay, so now that we've talked about how to understand ourselves and how we talk to people, let's talk about what we look for in a partner. Logan Yuri refers to this as looking for a long-term partner and not a prom date. Yuri refers to a term called present bias. This is when we put a disproportionately high value on the here and now and an inappropriate low value on the future. When you think of a prom date, what do you think of? Someone who's fun, attractive, the life of the party, maybe they're outgoing, they're silly and goofy. However, when you think of all those things, is that the type of person that you want to spend the rest of your life with? Now, the, the qualities that, that I just listed, obviously those are great qualities. You want those inequalities. But on a superficial level, is the prom date somebody that you want to spend the rest of your life with? When thinking about dating somebody, we don't want to think about it as, can I make a love story with them? We'd rather think, can I make a life story with them? So we're kind of thinking about it. We're like, okay, prom date, life partner, love story, life story. Okay, these are new ideas, new concepts, a little different. When is an appropriate time to change your mindset from prom date to life partner? Ultimately, this is different for everybody, but it depends on what you want from the relationship and what your goals are. If you are wanting to have kids and have a family, you're on more of a timeline 
Versus honestly, if you don't want kids, you're not on a timeline. But especially for women, if you want kids, you're definitely on a timeline. Unfortunately, our eggs are drying up in our bodies as we speak. So you got to get those bitches out so we can start making some babies. So if you are wanting to have a relationship where you have kids, Logan Yuri talks about how you need to start changing your mindset six to eight years prior to wanting to birth a child. Now that you've realized that you, you're getting ready to be in a long-term relationship and meet somebody to have kids with, Logan Neary talks about how what we think we need in a partner is all wrong. The example she starts with is when she has people come in and talk to her because she is not only an author, but a relationship coach as well and a matchmaker. She hooks people up, had a lot of successful marriages and relationships. When people come in and explain to her what they're looking for in a partner, an example we'll use is that they want somebody who will dance. This is me totally. Now, Going out and dancing is fun. You want to have a good time. You want to have somebody that can cut a rug with you. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do. However, how many hours a month do you spend dancing? How often do you go out? Is dancing really an important make or break thing when it comes to being in a relationship with somebody? Money is for sure an important thing when it comes to dating. You want to make sure that you and your partner are financially sound and prepared for any of the obstacles that life is going to throw at you. Studies have shown that there is no increase in emotional happiness once your salaries combined reach $75,000. And it also turns out that it's not necessarily how much money you have, but how much money the people around you have. Because unfortunately, as humans, we're constantly comparing ourselves to people. So if you're in a environment where maybe you live in the rich neighborhood, but you guys don't really have money. You just have the illusion that you have money. You're never going to feel truly happy and satisfied because you're always going to be comparing yourself to your neighbor who has a bigger house and a better car. Now let's talk about looks a little bit. Looks are also important, but how important are they really? So way back in the day when we were hunting animals with sticks and rocks and riding on cave paintings, we were drawn to more attractive people because we saw them as a more viable option to produce offspring with. Somebody that was attractive, maybe had nice teeth, had clear skin, was a sign of good genetics and meant that most likely your offspring wouldn't die as quickly. We're living longer and living healthier lives. It's important for your partner to be attractive to you, but what you're ultimately feeling is lust and lust is going to fade over time. Fun fact... Studies have shown that doing cocaine stimulates the same parts of your brain as falling in love do. So once you listen to this and you've gone to the podcast a little bit and you're like, you know what, Raven, I just don't think I can find love. Just do cocaine. It's okay. It makes you feel the same way. So there's actually science when it comes to lust. Our brain makes our partner look extra attractive to us so that we want to reproduce with them. However, once you have a child and that child's about four years old, our brain starts to change. Way back in the day when we were hunting for our food, once a child got to be about four years old, it doesn't necessarily need as much help. You don't necessarily need both parents around to keep this kid alive. It should be able to figure its shit out and fight lions off by itself. So when that starts to happen, the lust part of our brain starts to fade. Our partner no longer looks as attractive because biologically, our body is telling us, okay, you have made an offspring. Your offspring has made it to this point. Now it's time for you to make another offspring because the more kids you have, there's a higher chance of them all surviving. So dating somebody who is super sexy is great and is really fun and everybody wants to have an attractive partner. But over time, that shininess is going to fade and those rose colored glasses, you're going to take off and you're going to be like, huh, 
well, you're, you know, you're cool and all, but I don't find you as attractive as I did before. And that's okay. Biologically, that's what's supposed to happen to us. So it's important to make sure that you are attracted to the individual as a person and not necessarily just for them on their looks. So now that we've talked money and looks, let's talk personalities. Most people think when it comes to dating that they want to date somebody with a similar personality to them. I'm really outgoing. I'm the life of the party. So I have to have somebody that keeps up with me or I'm really quiet and reserved and I don't really like going out as much. So I want somebody that's going to stay home with me. Studies have actually proven that that's not actually correct. And we don't necessarily want people that are exactly the same as us. Think about it. Would you want to date you? Would you want to have two of you in the same room fighting for people's attention or trying to do the same thing? Personally, that sounds like a lot. I love myself, but two of me eh, might just be too crazy. The goal is to find somebody who compliments you and isn't your personality twin. There's a theory that we are attracted to people who are different from us and who smell different from us because that means that their genes are different and could make a really healthy offspring. My ex, he used to always loved how I smelled. I'd get straight home from the gym. He would want to instantly stick his face in my armpits. He loved sweating me. He was all about it. And I always thought it was so gross, but it was really silly and cute. Like, what do you mean you want to smell my armpits? I'm super stinky. And he's like, yes, it's your pheromones. I just, uh, I get high off of them. And I just loved it. I thought it was so cute. So having somebody that has a personality that compliments you really is more important than having somebody that is just like you. Another thing that we think is really important when it comes to dating is shared hobbies. Shared hobbies, again, aren't as important as you think. So it's totally fine if you and your partner have different interests, as long as those interests don't affect you from investing into the relationship. An example, let's say that you love wine. You love to drink. All about it. I love me a good Chardonnay. However, every time you go out with your partner, they they make a comment, why do you always have to drink? Or you're always drinking. Why do you have to drink wine that doesn't even taste good? Having a partner who supports your hobbies and supports your interests, same scenario, we're at dinner or lunch or brunch, whenever you try to drink wine, you're drinking wine and your partner says, hey, how is that wine? How does it taste? And you're like, oh, it's really woody and earthy and super leggy or whatever people say when it comes to wines. And they take an interest in your hobby. Maybe your partner doesn't even take an interest in your hobby, but it's more of taking an interest in you being interested in those hobbies and supporting you in what you do. You don't ever want to have your partner make you feel bad because you're out doing what you want to do and do your hobbies. If they don't like drinking wine and going to the movies, they're not going to have fun drinking wine and going to the movies. So it's important to find a balance with that and respect each other's boundaries and expect each other's time away from each other. You have to make sure that you and your partner have the freedom and space to explore these hobbies. So a common theme when it comes to dating in the modern age is that we expect our partner to wear all the hats. We expect our partner to fill all of our love buckets, all of our needs, and satisfy us in all ways. That's a lot of responsibility to put on somebody. Like imagine stacking every hat you own. Honestly, I only have like three hats, if maybe even that. But every hat, you go to fucking Walmart and put every hat on one person and be like, this is what I need from you. What's going to happen? Those hats are going to fall down. They're not going to be able to balance it. Logan Urie talks about OSO or the other significant other. What this means is that it is important to have people in your life who you can turn to to fulfill your emotional needs that your partner cannot fulfill. And it is 110% okay for your partner to not be able to feel, fulfill all of your emotional needs. 
No one person is going to do that. And you shouldn't put that pressure on somebody because that's a lot of pressure to put on someone. And it's just not fair to them. So if you, if your partner doesn't like drinking wine, call up your gal pal Becky and be like, hey, Becky, I want to go drink some wine. Let's fucking get day drunk. If your partner likes to go hiking and you don't like to go hiking, be like, hey, you should hang out with my brother. He loves to go out outdoors. You guys can throw rocks at things. It's finding a balance. It's communicating with your partner what you're going to do, what's happening, and hanging out with your OSO. We shouldn't put all that pressure on our partner to fulfill all of our needs. It's important to be able to give those needs and give those desires to other people to help them balance it out. And ultimately, it's going to make both of you guys happier because it's going to put less stress on you and the relationship. So now that we've talked about all that fun shit, let's get into what really matters when it comes to dating somebody and being in a relationship. So if you're looking for a life partner instead of a prom date, Logan Yuri breaks down six traits that are a little hard to measure, but are really important to look for when finding a partner. Number one, emotional stability and kindness. Emotional stability is defined as being able to self-regulate and not give in to anger and impulsivity. The combined emotional stability of a couple predicts the satisfaction and stability of the relationship. You want your partner to be kind, empathetic, generous, and you want them to support you. And having these things in your relationship, it allows you to treat your partner with care and compassion, which researchers have found is the ultimate key into long-term success. If you want to be with somebody, you have to be compassionate. You have to be caring. You can't be icy and cold to them. It's just not going to work out. Ways to tell if somebody's kind is to see how they treat people who they don't want anything from. How do they treat service workers? How do they treat people at Walmart? Are they nice to them? Do they tip them well? Do they hold doors open for people? Little things like that will show you the kindness that people have in their hearts. A way to tell somebody's emotional stability is to pay attention to how they act in stressful situations. Do they freak out or do they keep their cool? Emotionally stable people take time to think and respond instead of just going off a deep end and yelling at whoever that poor person is. The second thing that's important to look for is loyalty. Is this person going to be with you in the good times and the bad times? Are they going to stand up for you? Yuri brings up this idea of finding somebody who holds your purse. The example she uses is who is going to hold your purse for you when you're in the cancer ward? You want to find somebody that is going to be with you through sickness and health and is always going to be there by your side in the good times and bad times and doesn't have a problem holding your purse for you while you're going through chemo. A way to judge how loyal somebody is is take a look at how many long-term friends they have. Are they surrounded by lots of old friends and loved ones or are they kind of a loner? Now, some people growing up, maybe they moved a lot. They were kind of socially awkward. They didn't really have a lot of friends. That's okay. That's different. However, if your person, if your partner has no friends and nobody that they can reach out to and count on and talk to when things get rough, why do you think that is? Why don't they have people in their life? Is it how they treat them? Is it their lack of empathy and kindness? You got to observe it to find out. The third thing you want to look for is a growth mindset. People who have a growth mindset believe that they can improve their intelligence and skills. They're motivated by challenges and see failure as a good thing. You're learning something. You want a partner who can rise to the occasion and not give up. You can spot people with a grown mindset by observing how they act in different situations. How do they approach challenges and setbacks? Do they give up or do they push on? Also notice how they talk to themselves. Do they talk positively or talk down to themselves? If someone talks down to themselves, how do you expect them to talk you up and to gas you up all the time? The fourth thing to look for is what does this person bring out in you? At the end of the day, their relationship isn't about how the two of you are separately. It's about how you guys come together. 
So what does this person bring out to you? Do they calm you down and relax you or does their anxiety give you anxiety? Do they make you feel good about yourself or put you down? When you give them advice, do they listen or do they disregard your thoughts and just do what they're going to do? If you're not sure where your partner falls on these things, ask one of your friends. Invite them to come out with you and your partner and observe how you act. Are you having fun and being fulfilled or are you quiet and being talked down to? Sometimes it takes a third party to realize what's going on and what the situation is. Number five, I think this is a very interesting one and something that I definitely need to work on is skills to fight well. You have to be able to fight in an efficient way when it comes to dating somebody. Growing up, did you have good examples of conflict and resolution or did you see your parents yelling and fighting with each other and then just stalking off? The first step to fighting well is realizing that there are two types of fights, solvable problems and perpetual problems. Common examples of perpetual problems are someone liking to go out while the other one stays in or someone being super clean and their partner being messy. The goal is not to convince each other to change or even come to an agreement. The goal is to find a productive way to live with this difference. The goal isn't to find a partner who you never fight with. The goal is to find somebody who you fight well with. The second step to fighting well is the repair attempts. After you guys have an argument or a fight, how do you diffuse it? Do you guys crack a joke? Do you hug it out? Do you each go for a walk? Do you take 30 minutes to yourself to calm down and then come back and then hug it out? It's really important that you guys have that moment afterwards to close out the fight and end it and bring both of you guys back together. Fighting with your partner is going to happen. You just have to pay attention to how you fight and how the fight ends. Once the fight is done, do you feel like you were heard? Do you feel like the, your partner understood the point you were trying to make? Did your partner make attempts to de-escalate the fight afterwards? Or did they just stalk out and leave the fight hanging in the air? The goal is to fight well, not to eliminate fights altogether. And lastly, number six is the ability to make hard decisions with you. Hard times are going to happen and you and your partner are going to have to figure out the best way to deal with those things. The best way to know how your partner is going to handle this is to make hard choices and have hard things happen. An example is how does your partner react when traveling and your plans change or when your car breaks down in the middle of the road? Do they freak out and get mad and upset or are they calm, cool and collected about it and help to calm you down? You both can't be freaking out. You both can't be panicking. This kind of goes back to being with somebody who's personality is different from yours. If you're both very aggressive people and very maybe loud and outgoing, you both may respond to a situation in the same way. And then both of you are just going to be spiraling, going in circles. You have to make sure that you have the yin to your yang and you have that balance and you have somebody that really grounds you and pulls you back. Also, how does your partner react when you're stuck picking between two equally good or bad options? So wrapping up our prom date life partner adventure. The things that truly matter in a relationship can only be tested once in a relationship. We tend to focus on the superficial surface level stuff that may not seem important at first, but may promote a healthy relationship long term. That's why you have to intentionally shift your approach to focus on what really matters. The shift isn't going to be easy, but it will be worth it if you're looking for a life partner and not a prom date. Meow, my little sex kittens. What did you think about all that new information? Kind of cool, right? Kind of interesting. Like I mentioned earlier, I love doing stuff like this to help figure out how we can be more efficient, figure ourselves out more because we can't love somebody else. We can't truly be in a successful relationship with somebody else if we're not in a positive, successful relationship with ourselves. So I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I'm actually gonna break this into three parts instead of two. So I hope you enjoyed 
part one of part three of how not to die alone. And you know what? None of us are going to die alone. We're going to have our cats with us or our dogs. Or, you know, if you believe in God, God might be there. I think Lucifer might be hanging out with me. He'll be like, what up, girl? Ready to hang out? And I'll be like, yes. Yes. Let's freaking party, man. I'm excited for it. So some key things to close this all out, put a nice little bow on this bitch, is I would like you to take the dating tendency quiz that I have linked in my show notes, figure out what your dating tendencies are. I would like you to change the settings on your dating apps, broaden those bitches, open up the floodgates, change your height, your education, whatever you have, mix it up. Do something that you wouldn't normally do and maybe you'll meet somebody you wouldn't normally meet that will be everything you wanted and more. Figure out your attachment style. Once you've figured out your attachment style, if you don't necessarily like your attachment style, that is totally okay. You can re-teach yourself how to be securely attached and we can go about life in a more positive, secure way, which is all we want. All we want is to be secure in life and all things that we do. I'd like you to think about what really matters to you and what are core values that you're looking for in a partner. Also reflect on, for you personally, what a prom date is and what a life partner is and what the differences are and the different traits. Are you in the prom date phase or are you in the life partner phase? Your life partner is out there. They're waiting for you to figure your shit out and they're figuring your shit out. So there's no rush in any of this. We have as much time as we want in the world. Make the best of every single day. Alrighty, now that we have the fun educational side of it, this is what you guys are all here for, our weekly sex tip. And I guess you would call it a sex tip. I would say it's more common knowledge, but as you get older, you come to realize that common knowledge really isn't that common, or you're just extremely smarter than all the people around you. So I think it's location, 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 and maybe get different friends. But what we're gonna talk about today This is for the men, but it benefits the ladies. Men, if you plan to stick your fingers in a hole, any hole, I'm talking ears, nose, butthole, vagina, maybe eye sockets, maybe they don't have an eye, maybe they wear an eye patch, or maybe you're going to scoop out somebody's eye. Regardless, anytime you go to stick your hand, oh, mouth, obviously, inside a woman, you got to make sure your nails are clean. You got to make sure your hands are clean. Don't get me wrong. I love hands. I love big meaty hands and I like when hands are dirty at times. It shows that you're a hard worker, they're getting shit done, or maybe you just don't wash your hands. Either way. But when it comes to dirty hands in my vagina, in my butthole, in my ear hole, inside me in any way, not about it. I have a really sensitive pH. She has a lot of feelings. She's really moody. She doesn't want whatever dirt and grime that is underneath your nails to be inside of her. So if you're thinking you're going to get lucky tonight, you're going to go out on the town, scrub those fucking nails, get the dirt out, get your, uh, what's it? Not a loofah, a little buffer bar thing, you know, little like bars and fucking buff your hands out. Get rid of all the dirt. Get rid of all the grime. I want your hands when they say cleanliness is close to godliness. I want to look at your hands and then be so clean that I want to think that you made the whole universe with those hands because they're so clean and so close to godliness. <laughs> oh goodness, I'm ridiculous. All right, friends, thank you so much for hanging out. I am so happy with all the love and the positivity I've gotten back from everybody so far. Thank you so much, everybody who has reached out to me. It truly means the world to me. You guys are all amazing and I wouldn't be here without you. So thank you so much. If you haven't followed me on Instagram, 
Follow me at Raven After Dark Pod. If you want to see my titties, follow me on OnlyFans. If you feel like buying me shit because I fucking deserve it, my Amazon wish list is attached as well. And don't forget that dating quiz is linked in the show notes. Check it out. Figure out what your tendencies are so we all can become the best versions of ourselves. I love you guys all. I'll see you next Tuesday.